you have a copy of God's Word, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Matthew chapter 5, we'll specifically be looking in our series through the Sermon on the Mount in verses 27 through 32, Matthew's Gospel, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. In all honesty, these are passages of Scripture that deal with very personal life situations, temptations, struggles. We're going to talk about sexual immorality. We're going to talk about divorce because Jesus talks about it. It's not because I desire to talk about these things. In my flesh, I would much rather talk to you a little bit about your March Madness bracket. I would much rather talk to you extensively about uh, Auburn basketball and how many of you stayed up last night and watched that game, but, but that's not the script that's been given to me. The script that has been given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the Sermon on the Mount is a, a passage that, frankly, we need much more. We need much more. Um, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 27, reads, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Sexual impurity is not new in our culture. It's not, it's not new in our society. It is, it is as old as sin itself. God creates the unity of a marriage, man and woman, till death do them part. The first commandment is to be fruitful and to be multiplied, to be fruitful and to multiply. And Satan, it's not surprising, has as a strategic target this very good gift of marriage, and he wants to tempt all of us for it to flow out of the bounds that he has desired for it to be. And that can occur in a lot of ways. Sexual impurity, sexual immorality comes at us in a lot of fashions, forms. It always has. But we'd be remiss to say that we're not living in a day and age where there is an epidemic of a problem that is upon us. That accessibility to illicit images is never more prevalent than it is right now in 2019. The Satan and his minions and the targets that he has on couples, purity, individuals, purity, singles, purity, students, purity, is right in the crosshairs of what really is spiritual warfare, what really is demonic in origin. Even our views of pornography have changed within our culture. There was a study that was commissioned by the Barna Institute that came out in 2016 in what we call afterthoughts, it's an email that you can receive on Monday. The findings of this study, you can go and look at more extensively. It is sobering, sobering. Thousands of young adults, teenagers, 18 through 24, were researched over a large period of time to be able to say, what is the stances on sexual immorality, illicit images, pornography within our culture? One of the studies, one of the findings was they asked these students, these singles, to rate from one to five. So here's the spectrum, one being always wrong, five being always right. What in our culture is always wrong? What is two, three, four, five, and the five being always right? And so there was some consensus. It was top ten. The first that, that there was consensus that this is always wrong, 88% of those surveyed said that theft is always immoral. 
Second, under 88% was adultery, always immoral. And then third, right under adultery and theft was lying, that lying was always immoral, moving down from 88% being the top. Number nine was engagement with pornography. Do you know what was ahead of engagement with pornography? Engagement with pornography, the the consensus, 33% of those surveyed said that this was actually morally wrong. Number four, at 56% was not recycling. So there's greater consensus with at least those that were surveyed that not recycling has more damaging effects in our culture than viewing illicit images. This is a problem. This is, has, is epidemic on its scope of, of really health issues, challenges for individuals, marriages. If you're a counselor, if you're a psychologist, if you're an educator, if you're an administrator, if you have any kind of ministry background, you know that this is something that is, is targeting the youngest of the young. No one is immune to this, and we must think carefully about what Jesus' words mean for you and for me in an impure world in which we live in. And the first thing that we discover in our passage that I've read to you is the call for purity. Simple, clear teaching of Jesus. You heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Last week, the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder, was expanded upon, not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law, and he talked about anger. Now he picks up the seventh commandment. You should not commit adultery. And he goes to the heart. He moves from the letter to the spirit. And so the heart issue is that you are called to not look with lustful intent in the English Standard Version translation. Another way you could paraphrase that is an imaginative gaze. We shouldn't think that Jesus is prohibiting one from recognizing the beauty of someone, but rather he is prohibiting the lingering gaze, the passionate stare that then goes to the place of imagination. And so Jesus is making the point that's very clear that we can indulge in the spirit of adultery without a secret rendezvous. That we can indulge in the spirit of adultery without physical touch. And it moves to the heart. Because the heart for the Jewish person in that first century world was the core of their being. The essence of who they were. And so Jesus is saying something that we should be reminded of. That you can give away your heart without the secret meeting. This is the call for purity. The second discovery that we have in this passage is the path to purity. Notice again in verse 29. If your right hand causes you to sin... Tear it out, throw it away. It's better to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Verse 30, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. There's much discussion for 2,000 years of church history in regard to the meaning of right hand, right eye here. Is there something literally that we need to take from these passages? And what we need to be reminded of is the consensus of the church is that this is to be taken seriously, but not with wooden literalism. The early church, Origen, as the prime example, took this literally. We need to take this literarily. Jesus is utilizing exaggeration. He's utilizing hyperbole to say one clear and resounding truth that we should do whatever it takes to not engage in sexual immorality. We think of Joseph in the Old Testament. He goes from the pit to the palace. He becomes Potiphar's right-hand man. 
Potiphar's wife takes an interest to him, propositions him. He resists by saying this, it would be wrong to sin against your husband, my boss. It would be wrong to sin not only against him, but also to sin against the holy God. Vertical consequences, horizontal consequences. He flees that moment when she insists and he runs from sin. So what Jesus is saying is, in this passage, we must do whatever it takes to flee from sin and to pursue holiness in an impure world. So all of us in this room need to ask those specific questions. How are we fleeing impurity and running to the very one who can satisfy our deepest longings? The enticement of impurity is to say that if you give yourself to this, then you will find what you actually deserve and what you're actually looking for. And it's a mirage. It is an illusion. It is a trap. And Jesus' words here are very clear that we should cut off. What do we need to cut off? Well, it very well may be that a season of our life that is in this room, appearance, that, that we say there is not going to be unfiltered access to anything and everything that could come into our home. And so we have something like Circle. It's a, it's a device that filters what's coming into your house. That afterthoughts link is going to give you some information about that. Very, very helpful. I'm able to see everything that our kids are looking at. We have uh, uh, guards in our household. Why? Because we want to flee from impurity. It very well may be that some of you travel here, so there's, there's a fleeing as you travel, as you have very specific accountability in your life. It very well may be that there's some emotional boundaries that you're, you're flirting with crossing over. And so it is very clear from Scripture that you flee those unhealthy relationships, you flee those, those places of temptation, and you run to the one who can satisfy your deepest longings. And that is what must guard our hearts. It isn't just accountability for accountability's sake. We, we must have a grand vision of what occurs when we cannot see passionately and clearly who God is in our life. And this is clear, that when we connect this passage to the Beatitudes, and when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When we give ourselves in our eyes, in our minds, to the impurity of this world, it darkens, it dims, it blocks our vision of who God is, it, it blocks our vision of the goodness of God. We're not able to heed his voice in our life as it leads us as singles, as students, as married couples in this church, in our workplace. It clouds our vision. And we're not able to clearly distinguish and discern his good and pleasing will for your life. Why? Because we're giving ourselves to the impurity of this world. And so we run from the siren song of sin, the desires to entice us and entrap us, and we run to the very one who desires to lead us and to guide us. And there are some of you that are in this room and you're living in the shadows. There's secret sins that you feel that no one knows and no one's going to find out, and you just need to hear. That for the sake of your soul, for the sake of the intimacy that God desires to have with you, for the sake of your family, for the sake of your future family, for the sake of your bride, for the sake of your husband, for the sake of your future bride, your future husband, flee sin. 
and embrace the goodness and the grandeur of God who desires to fill you and to sustain you. Be accountable. Be honest. Be prayerful. Who knows about the struggles that you feel no one knows about? Who is that person that is asking you the difficult question? Who is that person that's praying with you? Everybody doesn't need to know that, but somebody needs to know that. A wise Christian, a wise Christian counselor, a wise Christian friend, a wise Christian person that you meet in the contours of our church, maybe a church staff member here at Dawson who's coming alongside of you and praying specifically, uh, building some patterns of accountability in your life as you consistently come before him and say, give me pure hands, give me a clean heart, let my heart, let my heart be clean, let my hands be pure. Notice in this passage here that we have a call for purity. Notice that in this passage here we have the path to purity. Notice also in this passage as we move to verses 31 through 32, Jesus makes an extension of the conversation about purity and he moves it to a call for purity in marriage. The call for purity in marriage begins in verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Strong personal words from Jesus. Strong personal words. You need to understand a couple of things about this passage. First, you need to understand the Old Testament allusions and backgrounds that Jesus is interacting with in the Sermon on the Mount. No first century Jew hearing this passage would not have had as a cross-reference in their mind Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 2. They, they all would have had that passage. Notice the way Jesus interacts with this passage. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency, some indecency in her, that's to be underlined, that's to be circled, note that in your mind, and he writes her a certificate of divorce. He puts it in her hand, sends her out of the house. She departs out of the house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and Jesus is is drawing upon these first four verses in Deuteronomy 24, there was a controversy in first century rabbinical teaching around how do you interpret Deuteronomy 24 has found some indecency in her. Two schools, the school of Shema, the school of Hillel. The school of Shema was this, that divorce was not God's plan and there was an exception and that exception was sexual immorality. So the indecency with her had to be sexual immorality. There was another school, the school of Hillel, first century rabbinical teaching that said divorce was allowable if the wife did anything that the husband deemed to be unpleasant. And examples of it were were this specific, that if a wife was to burn a meal that was prepared for the husband that the husband could, under the permission of Scripture, quote-unquote, divorce his wife and have grounds because, what, he had found indecency in her. So notice, notice how powerful Jesus' words are in that conversation. Jesus is protecting, first, the, the sanctity of marriage, Secondly, he's protecting the, the, the individuality and worth of the wife in the marriage. And understanding that first century world, there, there was no social network 
So the husband that gives his wife the certificate of divorce sends her on her way. She is bound for destitution. This is not a good place to be in in that first century world. And so Jesus is exalting marriage, is exalting the worth of the wife in the marriage. And then he, he, he really aligns himself with the teaching of Shema, where he says there is one exception. And that exception is the word that we have in the original language in the New Testament, which is pornonia, which means sexual sin. So this isn't the last passage that talks about this. And if I had more time and did a whole sermon, and we, we will come back to this as we continue to preach through God's word, we'll come to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we need, to, we need to have that passage in our mind because Paul talks about divorce in that passage. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 12, he talks about divorce in that passage. So I want to, in the, for, for the sake of time, to give three principles drawing together the consensus of the New Testament in regard to marriage and divorce. And I'll state them before you hear. Number one, divorce is is not God's ideal. Divorce is not God's ideal. It It is just difficult, if not impossible, to read the clear teaching of the New Testament and come up with any other standard than divorce not being God's ideal. Secondly, though, divorce is permissible for sexual unfaithfulness, but not commanded. But not commanded. Divorce is permissible for sexual unfaithfulness, but not commanded. And third, especially drawing upon as we listen to the Apostle Paul speak into this context in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, divorce is permissible when a Christian spouse is abandoned by a spouse. So notice what Jesus and Paul are doing here. They're not giving us every potential example that could have intersected with your life. They give us broad principles that we then, with prayer and wisdom and good time and counseling, have to live under. But some of you are like, what about? 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 And we can think of a lot of very specific, painful experiences that most likely have intersected your life, maybe personally or your family personally here. And I would just want to speak to some of those. One of those being, there very well may be that there's someone that is in a marriage and there is physical, sexual, verbal abuse. And I just want you to hear very clearly that your safety is of the utmost of importance. And you separating for a time to have cover, safety, to be able to process what is occurring is a healthy thing to do, not only physically, not only emotionally, but spiritually. And if you are in one of those situations, I commend to you, I implore you to not be there isolated. Someone needs to be walking with you in the midst of the, of the hellish experience that you might be having if you're listening to this sermon today. And you can go to our Dawson website and you can click on the staff and just look on those pages and you'll see pictures and just God is saying to you, there's one of these people that's going to love me in the midst of this secret and this pain. Nobody else knows about it. And I would just implore you to send an email to that person. And in confidence and in love and in time, they're going to walk with you in the midst of this. 
And I also want to say specifically, there's some of you in this room that are married and you are contemplating in the midst or someone, uh, your spouse is contemplating in the midst of divorce. And I just want to specifically say to you that in the midst of the painful path that you are traveling on right now, do not travel that path alone. That you need a godly friend who isn't barking orders at you, but is loving you and praying for you and is in the trenches with you. You don't need everyone to be that, but you need someone to be that. You need a good, godly Christian counselor. You need a good, godly Christian psychologist who can walk with you. If you are in a marriage and there are no children, can walk through that process that is occurring right now. If there are children involved, you need to walk through that process. And finally, I would just want to commend to you that you need a counselor and you need a minister. So I commend you to go to that site, see that someone is on there that will love you and pray for you from our church staff and would want to know the the difficult path that you're traveling on. This is a heavy message, and I've I've wondered how to not make it heavy. And and, and the truth of it is, you just can't. And and I'm not going to make things that are heavy. I'm not going to avoid those because... It affects all of us in here. And it would be the cowardly thing to do to say, it's uncomfortable for me to preach this message three times in a row. But I assure you, it is. It is uncomfortable to talk about these things. But I want you to hear me. I think it's worth it because the goal is the prayerful healing of your marriage. It's not to say, how can I get out of this mistake as quickly as I can. And I've seen God do some resurrection in marriages that that were at the the end of the rope, that there was no more rope left that they were holding on to. And and I've seen the other side. I've seen after years of prayerful attempts for reconciliation that one of the spouses abandoned the other spouse and just said, I will not come back into the marital vows that I've made to you. And I know this is personal. I know that this is painful. And I just want to speak to you directly. If you're affected by divorce here, I know it's personal. It is personal in varying degrees to everyone in this room. I've never personally experienced the pain of divorce. I've never experienced what you have gone through or you are going through here. I've experienced the the pain of, of being a child of a divorced family. My parents divorced when I was seven. Mom and dad set me down, set my brothers down, and I learned new words. I learned visitation rights and alimony and child support. And I'm going to tell you this. I love my mom. I love my dad. I love my stepmom. And in the midst of growing up in the decades after that, I know I am loved by them and that God has done some wonderful things in our family dynamic and every family dynamic has these kinds of things. So I know it's pretty sensitive because I'm sensitive about it. I was sitting in a pew just like you're sitting in a pew listening to a preacher talk about this. I was 15 years old. My mom happened to be sick that day at church. She wasn't there and the preacher talked about marriage, talked about divorce and talked about it in a way that I didn't feel there was much grace and there was, there was much love coming. And so I called. I called the church secretary and said, I, I need to make an appointment with the pastor. And I, I pretty much came into his office and in Mississippi vernacular, I said, now you don't go talking about my mama like that. I mean, that's pretty much <laughs> what I said. 
And he was real gracious and kind to me, and he heard me out. And, and I, I just want you to know, if this is your story, my heart is with you. I, I hope you hear in the tenor of my voice. This is not something I'm trifling with because I know this is painful, but I want you to hear that divorce does happen. No one gets married in the Garden of Eden. There are a lot of great venues, but, but you're not going you, the, the deposit's a little too high for the Garden of Eden. So all of us go down the path to I do, and we are two sinners saying, I do and I will. And every commitment that is made is marred by sin. There is no person in this room, whether they have gone through divorce or whether they've never gone through divorce, whether they're single, whether they're widowed, we all equally need God's grace. And there are some that have been racked with guilt, and it is difficult to come to church because of some of the things that you've experienced. And some of that, at times, has been the fault of the church, not intentionally, I think the church in 2019 is a whole lot more sensitive to this conversation than maybe we were in 1970 or 1980. And maybe your journey has been some of the shrapnel of what it means to move forward after. And maybe you're here and you're like a lot of people that I know. Some of the most courageous men and women that I know who have fought for, prayed for, sought forgiveness for marriage, and the marriage did not survive. Maybe you're here, and you just need to hear Jesus and Paul say that there is times is a permissible place where you move forward after divorce. It's always painful. It's always difficult. It is not the unpardonable experience of one's life, and, and you move forward in faithfulness. Whether that's in singleness or whether that's in a remarriage, you move forward in the great truth that God has a plan for you right now. And he desires to lead you into that plan. There's someone here or someone's listening to this sermon that I just need to talk to directly. And I want you to hear that I'm talking to you directly. I don't know who you are. But the Holy Spirit does. And I want you to hear that your marriage is worth fighting for. I want you to hear that your marriage is worth fighting for, that the grass is not as green as you think it is on the other side. And if you're a husband and you're struggling with impurity that's leading to fantasy and you're thinking to yourself, all the things that I will gain if I leave my wife, if I leave my home, I want you to hear it is an illusion. It is a mirage. It is not real. It is a trap. It is not from God, and it is not of God. Maybe your wife that's here, and it's been a difficult journey in marriage, and you've reconnected with an old friend, and what started as just this happenstance meeting turned into some interaction on social media, turned into text messaging back and forth. And now you've found that you're, you're, you're more honest and more vulnerable with him than you are anyone else in your family. And you think to yourself, finally, I'm noticed. Finally, someone cares about me. It is an illusion. 
It is a mirage. It is a trap. It is not of God, and it is not from God. Maybe you're here, and you, you have been hurt deeply by a spouse's sin. You've been hurt deeply by, by your ex. You've been hurt deeply decades ago. And I want you to hear that your Savior loves you and he desires to give you hope and healing and a peace that passes all understanding. And it will never be found in the path of bitterness and unforgiveness. Moving in that direction, thinking that you'll ever find peace, it is a mirage it is illusion. It is a trap. And maybe you're here, and you were the one who, with hindsight, said, man, I, I really wish, David, that I could go back, and I, I would not have done this. And there were some places in my life that I let some boundaries go, and I looked back over life, and it was decades ago, or it was years ago, but, but I have some regrets. And I just want you to know from God's word that you are as loved by Jesus Christ as anyone else in this room. That the blood of Jesus Christ, it flows freely to all of our hurts and all of our pains, even when we cause hurts and pains. That every one of us in this room are sinners. That every one of us in this room are sinners who need his grace, no matter our narrative, no matter our past, no matter our present, no matter our hurts, no matter our hangups, no matter our habits. Every one of us in this room need to hear you, child of God, are beloved. You are not your past. You are not your mistakes. You're not your failures. You're not your hurts. You're not anything other than who I have created you to be and saved you to be and desire to sustain you in. You are a sinner saved by grace. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I just pray that in this sanctuary today that you would do business with hurts, you would do business with struggles and pains. Maybe there's someone that is struggling with impurity. It's a dark place in their life. No one else knows about that, but you do. You desire to draw them to you, not to lash out against them, to embrace them, to free them from that bondage. I pray for the way that marital vows can be strained, can be ruptured in the way that that would affect all of us in this room. I pray that your grace would sustain us, that we would feel your call to, to move forward. Maybe that moving forward is, is fleeing from sin. Maybe moving forward is is asking you to help us to forgive someone that has so harmed us and hurt us. May we take that next step to follow you obediently. Live us, give us, Lord Jesus, clean hands. Give us pure hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen.